Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. Welcome back to another episode of the newly renamed Driving to the Basket podcast. I'm joined today by my friend and new co-host, Tommy. Why don't you say hello? How's it going, everybody? So we are just going to launch straight into things uh, and talk about tonight's game against the Chicago Bulls, which did not end well. Now, the Pistons, of course, as we know, had really been struggling uh, for some time now. We had uh, an unprecedented amount of rest, really. The Pistons have had a really rapid-fire schedule since the season began. Uh, they had four days off. Uh, it was uh, The last game was Friday's loss against the Hornets. And I think the idea, or at least the hope, of a lot of people was that you know, they'd use this time to, you know, get rid of some of the, not really get rid of, but uh, to smooth out some of the kinks, put it that way, especially in the defense, which had just been absolutely terrible. The Pistons also been turnover machines. That had been a huge problem. Um, the offense kind of against all expectations with Blake Griffin largely out of the lineup had done pretty well, but the defense was, was just awful. And the Pistons were just giving up a, a tremendous number of points on turnovers. So the thought was, you know, you've got a few days off. Dwayne Casey is is a capable defensive coach, and hopefully we can get things on board here. And you know, hopefully it's another few days off where you know Blake can reintegrate himself into the team or whatever else. Uh, now, of course, the game is a disaster. The Pistons just couldn't get things going, and, and this was against a Chicago Bulls team that isn't particularly good. That was missing Otto Porter. Uh, that uh, uh, you know, one thing that went wrong was just three point shooting. Part of which was that uh, Langston, the microwave Galloway, of course, the microwave a reference to uh, old Pistons great Finney Johnson. Uh, he just he didn't get it going. Kennard couldn't shoot, but also the Pistons just still couldn't defend, and that the offense looked like crap. And Blake was terrible. So, uh, and Andre Drummond had a really bad game too. So uh, this was a game the Pistons really couldn't afford to drop. They're now four and ten, uh, and so they've got a very difficult schedule coming up. So, uh, kick it over, Tommy. Why don't you tell us uh, your take on on what happened tonight yeah the biggest thing for me was Blake Griffin didn't look right uh the hope was after 10 games initially to start the season he was uh out and he said about six or seven games through that he was saying he was fine and the only reason that he was out was because the trainers wanted to be extra cautious with him uh, but today he did he just didn't look like the Blake Griffin of last year and that's really concerning for me uh he was slow he he was passing up a lot of shots. He, he lost his confidence on the three ball and you just can't expect the Pistons to do anything really uh, like they did last year without Blake Griffin carrying the way he did last year. It's just a matter of he was everything. Uh, he was doing everything for the Pistons last year. Casey relied on him heavily for the ISO ball. And while that's not ideal, it is, it was it was what the Pistons relied on, and without that, the team just struggled tremendously tonight uh, with them on the floor. They didn't seem to uh, iron out any of those kinks that you mentioned. They just they didn't look like they had ever played together. And then when he was off the floor, the Pistons immediately uh, they were moving the ball a lot more. Uh, they were getting some more open shots. Andre Drummond was playing a little bit of the facilitator role, and that's fun to watch, but. For a team that's pl- paying so much money to Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, you want them to be able to work together and have complementary skills and be able to play off of each other. And it seems like now more than ever, they aren't able to do that. And that's a huge problem for the Pistons. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. Griffin did not at all look tonight, nor has he looked since he's been back in the lineup uh, like the Blake we've seen. We saw last season, the Blake we saw it for, uh, you know, really the rest of his career. And the Blake whom, of course, uh, you know, the brain trust, the organization, or the old brain trust, it's certainly the owner, Tom Gores, thought would, you know, for better or worse, I think everybody, a lot of people could argue uh, for, for worse rather than better, thought would really turn around the fortunes of the franchise. He looked terrible uh, tonight. He has looked terrible since he got back. He's done more or less nothing right. Uh, you know, the only thing he did nicely tonight was rebound. I mean, that's helpful, of course. This team has, you know, it was one of the worst rebounding teams in the league. Uh, and, uh, you know, it has had basically no capable rebounders behind Andre Drummond. So... Uh, that's about all he did, right? Obviously, you don't have Blake Griffin out there to be a secondary rebounder. You have him out there to make plays for himself and for others. And uh, But for the entirety of the game, he was either just screwing up on the way to the basket, getting it stripped. He turned over the ball a ton of times, making bad passes. Uh, he, he finally sank his first three-pointer of the season, but uh, the rest of them were all pretty brickish. And, uh, and like you said, Team uh, just, you know, the offense couldn't operate as a unit with him on the floor. Uh, his defense was also really bad. Uh, like, I, I think on, uh, there was one possession when he was guarding uh, Harrison, and he literally left him up at the three-point line the entire possession. And, uh, I mean, at, at no point was Blake actually guarding him. He was standing about four feet from the three, excuse me, probably about six feet from the three-point line. And eventually Harrison got the ball and sank a wide-open three. Blake Griffin is never going to get, uh, he's just not quick enough. To, to make up that six feet <laughs> uh, before somebody can take a shot. But overall, he was just, he was bad on defense. He does not look like himself. He looks real slow. He looks, uh, he looks pretty hobbled. And, uh, but uh, to repeat, it's like you said, the, the offense just doesn't operate well with him on the floor. I think uh, a lot of that falls at the feet of Dwayne Casey. Like you said, the offense relied tremendously last season upon Blake being able to create something out of nothing. And uh, I would say that, you know, one or two Blake Griffin games less that the business had had, if he had been out just those one or two more games, and they were very fortunate with his health last season. I think uh, that caused some people to possibly forget that one of the major uh, question marks about the trade was, was his health. Uh, so they're very lucky to have that last season. But, uh, you know, one or two more missed games, very likely would have met the Pistons out of the playoffs. And... Uh, you know, say what you will about uh, th- that first round annihilation at the hands of the Bucks. Uh, the number fourteen pick, you know, which is in all likelihood what you're going to get <laughs> if you're the fourteenth, fourteenth uh, worst team in the league, is not much better, if at all. Uh, assuming you don't hit the hit the jackpot in the lottery, which very few teams do from that position. So, uh, I mean, I, I got to say, uh, a lot of it, a lot of tonight falls. Uh, at least the offense with Griffin on the floor falls at the, at the feet of Dwayne Casey, whom I'll have plenty to talk about later. Uh, I just, I don't think he really has the, uh, the imagination or really the inclination to, to run an offense around Griffin rather than just trying to run ISO offense through him throughout his entire time with the Raptors, except for that final season before he was fired uh, in which Nick nurse was running the offense. But when, when Dwayne Casey ran the offense in Toronto, whenever he could, he resorted to ISO ball. And you saw that in the Charlotte game. Uh, Luke Kennard didn't get any go in the second half uh, because Casey just resorted to ISO ball with Blake and, and Derek Rose didn't work. Um, but uh, yeah, 
I would say the only person tonight who had a particularly good game was Christian Wood, and that was actually after he finally got in the floor. Uh, yep, it's good to see him finally. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, it was pretty infuriating to see Thon Maker go out in the floor. I think into tonight, uh, Thon was about his on-off differential. Um, was, I think, around minus 8. Uh, Christian Woods was about plus 6.5. And, and nonetheless, uh, Dwayne Casey was throwing Thon Maker out in the floor. He amended his ways in the second half, but, you know, good grief. Yeah. So, I understand that yeah. Casey is like a defensive-minded coach, and for a guy who blows as many, you know, defensive assignments as Christian Wood, I understand that for Casey, that's very hard to watch. But for overall impact, Thon does nothing on really either end of the floor. He's he's just he's just long. That's about it. Christian Wood, at least he gives you something on offense. He's fighting for rebounds very hard, and he, he was getting a lot of you know good rebounds with two or three guys you know, surrounding him. So in terms of just overall production, I can't imagine a scenario where, where Christian Wood isn't the guy who's coming off the bench instead of, instead of Thonmaker. That That's just a huge question mark to me. Like why does Casey insist on giving Thon those minutes? And it, it, it seems like only when things go catastrophically wrong, do we get any change? Uh, I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. And, uh, yeah, just, just as a note to people, I'm, I'm still kind of tinkering with my mic here, trying to find an equal volume, uh, between Tommy and I. So if we sound like we're of a slightly different volume, apologies for that. Uh, but in any event, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, when it comes to the, the question of why the hell is Don Maker getting any minutes? Uh, yeah, Christian Wood makes his share of defensive errors though. Tonight, I think he came out and was very, very conscientious about not screwing up defensively at all. Uh, he made one kind of borderline mistake that led to an open three-pointer uh, for the Bulls. This was when the game was well out of hand late in the fourth. And uh, beyond that, I think he was he was extra, extra attentive to not blowing any assignments. He did pretty well, actually, at defending the rim. And uh, even against, uh, you know, even at times when he was matched up against, jeez, um, who was the uh, the backup center for the Bulls? I don't, I don't remember his name, but uh, uh but Wood was giving up quite a bit of size, and he still did pretty well. And on the offensive end, you know, the guy's got talent. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's maybe not the most reliable three-point shooter, but he's he's pretty darn good going downhill. He's a good scorer around the basket. He's super athletic. And uh, I think he's a guy you can train and do a passable defender. Uh, it's considerably easier, I would say. It, it's like <laughs> it's like Scotty Bowman, who's the old uh, coach of the Red Wings, a legendary coach, uh, arguably the best of all time. Uh, I would say it's between he and, uh, and Toe Blake, but I digress. He would say uh, you, can, you can't make your grinder score, but you can make your scorers grind. If there's something along those lines, basically. You can probably teach a scorer to play better defense. You can't teach a guy who can't score, uh, a good defender who can't score to be a good scorer. It's, it's unlikely to happen. It's it's just a matter of skill versus uh versus effort. Like somebody who's who's just does not have that defensive IQ, uh, can ho- hopefully through just an issue of effort become a better defender. Like Reggie Jackson mm-hmm. in his first season, first full season with the Pistons. Now Thonmaker, I mean, this leaves aside the fact that Thonmaker is a bad defender. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the really irritating thing here. Uh, he's a, a horrible on ball defender. Uh, I would say he maybe makes. No, that tonight it wasn't the case. It, uh, I would say usually he makes less off-ball errors than Wood. 
tonight that wasn't the case. And Don makes uh, Don certainly makes his share of off-ball errors, but on the ball, he's a terrible defender, and he sucks at everything else. He's a horrible <laughs> rebounder. He has no feel for scoring, and uh, the guy can barely set skinny. screens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he just, uh, people just push him out of the way. You can't. <laughs> yep. You can't impose his will on anybody, and he just gets moved around. He, he, if if I was him, his his only role really in the NBA long term is a guy who could shoot the three ball. That's about it. I mean, he can't play backup center. Just not long term. Well, this assumes that he's ever able to convert the three at a reliable percentage. I mean, yeah, one which, thing that's <laughs> questionable. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. It's it's unlikely, but that's like his best bet. He's looked just terrible. Yeah, people are like kind of banking on his potential at this point. He needs to show us something more because you you hear this in the off season a lot. You talk about you hear about guys either gaining fifteen pounds or losing fifteen pounds. I think Thon was one of those guys. They were talking about always putting on weight. It doesn't seem to have made a difference, and it's just it's just not good enough. And you can't build around that. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I will say, I mean, this is me ruefully laughing. I don't actually find this funny. Uh, you can say, yay, Casey isn't using him like he did last season, where he he legitimately seemed to think that Don was a viable three point shooter. Like uh, <laughs> down the stretch. Like uh, some of you probably remember that late game, uh, excuse me, late season game against the Hornets that would have been really nice for the Pistons to win and would have more or less locked them into the seventh seed. Uh, and the Pistons lost because down the stretch, the offense died. And in part, the offense died because, uh, I mean, uh, all right, Ish Smith, I'll say, um, you know, I think highly the guy uh, as as a player and as a teammate. Uh, so what I'm what I'm going to say now isn't isn't meant to. Uh, to, to trash him as a player. I mean, he has his shortcomings, but uh, whatever the case, he and Thon had this horrible thing going between them. Just awful. Where uh, they would run the pick and roll, which is like the worst pick and roll you can possibly think of uh, <laughs> between two guys who are both bad away from the basket and Thon is bad near the basket as well. So Ish, I mean, Kennard would be on the floor. Ish would take the pick and roll. Uh, you know, from Thon or for somebody else. And Thon would be a power forward a lot of the time, which is just, he can't play power forward. He can barely play center. He can't play power forward. And uh, in that game, Thon took uh, down the stretch when it was a close game, took three straight spot up threes and missed them all. I think four actually, and, uh, three straight at one point, And then another one uh, shortly there, a few possessions later. Uh, Casey legitimately had him spotting up for threes instead of studying off ball screens for Luke. And it's like you've got to be kidding me. And that was that was actually a significant portion. You know that I mean, sure, games are lost throughout the entire game, but that never should have happened. And in the playoffs, Casey still had this idea that he could play power forward, uh, and he started power forward in, in game one, and it was a disaster. So at least we don't have him being used as a spot up shooter anymore. But mm-hmm. uh, he sucks at everything. It's just that's just the the unfortunate truth of things. And at this point, it's like sure, he was a risk worth taking at the price, which was negligible. Uh, Stanley Johnson. But I think for the organization at this point, uh, it's like, unless you really think he's going to be able to improve, maybe you look back and you say, well, I wish we had just kept Stanley and uh, just written out the season. And then we would have one more roster spot and space under the tax line for another veteran. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't forget. I mean, that almost in in a sense that almost happened. Remember Casey was pushing for Joe Johnson to take that 15 spot, not Christian Wood. 
I mean, imagine if that's where we were right now, where Thon was like our only backup center. At least Christian Wood is a, a pleasant surprise. Like he's a high energy guy. He was a pretty good signing. I mean, especially at that price. But if Casey had gotten his way, and it seemed like Casey was really pushing for Joe Johnson to get that spot because we know that Casey likes his veterans. I mean, our center rotation being Andre Drummond and Thon Maker. If 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 Andre had gone down at any point, I and mean, we we would have had nothing. We would have had what Casey and not Casey uh, Maker, and then. When Griffin came back, that would have been probably our center rotation. Maybe call up it's like a two, like a ten day contract, like Dante Hall. That would have been it. I mean, we got we got lucky that Christian Wood kind of stumbled in, and he ends up being passable, especially for a minimum contract. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say this this front office I think has uh, been I will say an improvement on Stan Van Gundy, which isn't saying much. <laughs> uh, I think they're. Thus far, they've been pretty mediocre, uh, which is better than outright bad, which which Stan Van Gundy was. And uh, Stan Van Gundy was better than Dumars, who for his last, geez, how was it, like six years was just terrible. But uh, yeah, I'll give them credit for pulling Christian Wood off the scrap heap, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise known as claiming him off waivers. Because yeah, he's he has been a pleasant surprise. And... Yeah, so things definitely could have been a lot worse. I think we'd have seen Markeef, uh playing uh, playing backup center and who plays backup power forward in that situation. <laughs> As for Dante Hall, oh, yeah. it's like, oh. I forgot about Markeith, uh, that's true. Yeah, Dante Hall, it's like, oh boy, if that guy ever sees significant time on this team, then things have <laughs> taken a severely dire turn. Uh, you know, hard worker uh, by all yeah. means, but as we saw in Summer League, uh, cannot score, like, full stop. And, and just gets yeah. and gets roughed around in the paints, uh, you know, kind of like Thon on defense. But uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say Wood was basically the bright, the only bright spot tonight. Mm-hmm. And uh, Casey's just got to pull the plug on, on Thon. He's just awful. The, the with with the exception of that uh, game against Miami, where he kind of almost stumbled into a good game. He got bailed a lot, bailed out a lot on fouls and hit a couple threes. And you can never trust him to hit his threes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just been comically bad. And I do think it falls a little bit in the front office that, you know, the Pistons haven't had a good backup center since Aaron Baines. Uh, they had yep. to, like, Van Gundy went with Boban for some reason, thus yep. basically denying the Pistons the ability to get more money to Baines. And he kept Boban on the bench for two years, two and a half years. Or was it? No, sorry, one and a half yeah, no, years. That was a strange situation because yeah. he gave Boban that money because he figured Baines was going to get a much bigger offer. And then I think he ended up getting, like, a, a, not a huge offer from the Celtics, and he played there. Smaller, so. actually, smaller. Took that's what it cut. was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that he would have done that here, but maybe he would have. And it's just a case of he he was either undervalued by everybody else or overvalued by Stan Van Gundy. And uh, now he's playing I, really well for the Suns, and he added a three point shot and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Baines has been great. Uh, he's playing his way into a pretty big contract. I'm not huge, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he got eight figures per season. Uh, to, you know, for for next even uh, next season, even as a backup, because he's just been real good. Mm-hmm. But as we know, Boban just can't really play very well in the modern NBA. No, uh, the guy can't <laughs> defend the pick and roll, can't switch. So he's just not fast enough. Yeah, he's too slow footed. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> but I mean, Van Gundy gave him. A sizable salary, 
Like I remember, yeah. uh, I remember reading that uh, Boban wanted to stay in San Antonio because he really liked it there. And Greg Popovich is like, "Are you kidding? You know, go, <laughs> go, take the money." <laughs> so, yeah. but they had to roll with Eric Moore on the next season, who is is an acceptable defender, but a complete offensive zero. And then Zaza, who was, uh, you know, better than the Thon without a doubt, but still not really a guy you want to rely on, and not a guy who can step into the starting lineup. And I mean, you had uh, you could have taken a shot on on somebody in the second round, like uh, like. Uh, you know, with that number 30 pick, rather, like Bruno yeah. Fernando, for example, wasn't great, but, you know, that's a guy. And uh, whatever the case, I mean, I will, I will certainly say that they were operating within, uh, you know, limited boundaries. But it's like you yeah. said, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. If, if Drummond should go down, then Pistons are in a great deal of trouble, even more trouble yeah. than they're in right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in those first 10 games, he was playing good defense. I mean, he looked like a defensive anchor. And as bad as we've been on defense now, and, and then in that Charlotte game, he was he was kind of a sieve. You know, everybody was getting past him. Everybody was getting to the rim at will. But before that, I mean, he looked pretty good. That was probably peak Drummond. That was the best I think I've ever seen him play uh, for a stretch that long. So, yeah, I would say uh, I'm not sure if I'd agree with uh, being the first 10 games. I would say that after the the game against the Nets, I think is because uh, his performance altogether is is gone down a, quite a bit uh but you know he did look great defensively the first the first those in my opinion those first seven games and i've always you know i've, I've thought for, for for quite some time that he has this in him it's just a matter of will versus you know versus ability you know it's not a matter of ability rather it's just a matter of will and mm-hmm. uh the you know the, the discipline or just the intense or whatever you want to call it so just to, to go out there and, and give a professional effort every night which he was doing at the start of the season, even if he was still prone to bad habits, like those stupid isolations of his, uh, but, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, bringing the ball off the floor and turning it over, whatever else on the whole, he was very good. He was playing fully engaged. And when he plays fully engaged, uh, he can be a very good player. Even if his inability to stretch the floor still hurts quite a bit, he could still be a very good player. But mm-hmm. uh, I feel like ever since that game against the Nets, things have really gone downhill. Uh, certainly, as a scorer, his his efficiency has been very bad. Uh, his has been very bad since then, and uh, just his overall effort. And you, uh, you know, I know, I know, you saw just the visible change in his manner when when Griffin came back against yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, that was to be expected. I, I know that when he was playing pretty excellent ball to begin the year, uh, everybody was like, "All right, it's contract year, Drummond," and then. The, the question I had for some people was, all right, what do you what, what would you give him? And there were some people who were really like, we should give him the max. I mean, he's playing like a max player. And it's like, you have to give him the max if he keeps this up. And, and I thought, no, I, don't, I, I really didn't think this was going to continue when Blake came back. And it's even worse than I had anticipated. I mean, he just looks, it, it's just a polar opposite. It looks like the Andre Drummond of the past, which is, pretty disappointing because you know you see how good he can be and then he just when he doesn't get his touches he he resorts back to uh being very passive and low energy and it's it's disappointing yeah i think it's it's incredibly frustrating and uh you know i've I've seen you say many times and i agree completely that he and blake are not a good fit to begin with 
that's no. you're never going to get the the best out of both of them. I mean, in the first place, the Twin Towers model is really, really, really incredibly outdated in today's NBA. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there are some great centers in the league. Uh, you know, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, uh, Carl mm-hmm. Anthony Towns, and uh, Anthony Davis, who I will still maintain is is a center, even if he really doesn't like playing center. Uh, and and then Gobert, of course. Um, but uh, you know, those none of those guys are playing uh, as part of a, a duo with uh, somebody who's also going to be spending most of his time down low. But whatever the case, I mean, we saw. Drummond could do a pretty good job if he were at the center of the offense. It's never going to happen with Blake there. Uh, the Pistons don't really have the, the the space to allocate to, you know, a star on the perimeter. Of course, you're probably going to have to draft that guy. But uh, but uh, also, yeah, if you want to get the most out of Drummond, you got to give him a much larger role. You basically got to make him numero uno. And yep. not only is he not going to get that with Blake. I mean, if Andre Drummond is your number one guy and is running your offense, your team's probably not going to get very far. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, unfortunate yeah. because it's really fun to watch him operate like that. He he makes good passes, and uh, when he's playing at maximum effort, he he kind of covers other people's mistakes or other people's shortcomings. Like one thing, you mentioned that his defense is not very good, uh, and that you said that it's mostly because of effort. And while yeah. I do agree that effort definitely plays a part of it, the other thing is, I think he gets caught in a lot of two-on-one situations. I think that hurts his numbers. Uh, The defense has been – it's designed to push people off the three-point line and have them drive inside. And what happens is Drummond gets caught in a lot of two-on-one situations because uh, the perimeter player's defender is – he's jumped past his his man and uh, he's trying to play catch-up and Andre has to cover his man in the paint and the guy who's running up on him towards the basket and uh, making that decision – it's very hard for him to stop both, uh, but he was doing it better than I've ever seen him uh, in those those games without uh, Griffin. Uh, when he was engaged, when he was getting his touches, he wasn't forcing anything. He was ple- he he was a pleasure to watch, and it's it's unfortunate that uh, a team that's putting what like sixty something million into those two guys, they're best when they're not on the floor together, and. I could talk at length about the role that fit has in the NBA, but that, that could that could go on for a long time. It's just this this front office they just don't seem to understand that it's they're they've kind of got an old school uh, way of thinking, and I think that's really not good for an NBA team today. The, the league has just changed too much in the past. I think we said five years for them to be considering this. Uh, you don't want to see that. Well, I mean, I would argue that, um, <clears throat> pardon me. I would argue that, uh, at least for this front office, I don't think they had really, uh, I mean, I completely agree with you on the question of fit. I don't think this front office really had much choice in the matter. They kind of just inherited these contracts. And I think that, uh, you know, I think it's possible even if they had tried to move Griffin or Drummond, uh, even if they'd been allowed to by Tom Gores, which I think is doubtful. I think prior to last season, they would have had trouble moving Blake's contract, probably. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the only way to get out of that, they, they didn't build that. Uh, they didn't build uh, the uh, 
it was Stan Van Gundy who brought on the, uh, right. the, the Drummond Griffin duo. I think there was really mm-hmm. anything this, in my opinion, this front office really could have done short of just trying to hit the reset button, which I think, I uh, think they should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we'll see what happens this season. If it keeps going this way, I don't, I don't really see any other way, but uh, you know, I, I think we can agree that, that the Pistons have an owner who is not really, uh, uh, not really with it in terms of, you know, what needs Very to be done in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A guy who said, yeah. I insist we compete every year. He's been the owner since 2011. The Pistons are one of only two teams without a single playoff win since then. They have made the playoffs twice and they have won zero playoff games. So whatever the case. So, uh, I mean, I think we segue here into saying, you know, uh, how did we get to this point where the Pistons are four and 10, despite at least in terms of opponents, if not frequency of games, a fairly forgiving schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turnovers. So, <laughs> yeah, there is that. Um, I mean, I would say definitely turnovers. Of course, the fact that you don't have Blake uh, obviously hurts, you know, healthy Blake's kind of a game changing presence, but mm-hmm. uh, even beyond that, uh, turnovers, uh, defense. Uh, I mean, you got to say at, at what at some point, you know, what at what point is the coach really the problem? I mean, we're talking about a guy who is really defense focused. Always says if you can't defend, you can't be on the floor, which is a you know is a philosophy that obviously does not really held up because he's played plenty of players with the Pistons who can't defend, but uh, you know his that that's always where he's excelled. Uh, he's, you know, he was known as the guy who came up with the the Maverick scheme to limit LeBron in the 2011 Finals. Of course, LeBron, it could be argued, just kind of choked. He couldn't score in the fourth quarter in that series. But uh, nonetheless, he's known as a pretty able defensive mind. Uh, and, and last season, he was able to uh, to coach the Pistons into a uh, top 15, at least, defense, despite the fact that the team had uh, next to nobody in terms of actual good defenders. Uh, where he's always come up short is uh, is on offense and in terms of his lineups and in uh, rotations and, and so on and so forth. But, I mean, the defense just isn't doing it. Uh, the offense, I think, honestly, is punching above its weight. You had Derrick Rose putting up stupid numbers to start out the season, uh, and, and the Pistons very likely, well, certainly, rather, would have lost uh, – against that first game against the Pacers, um, you know, without him. But, I mean, the Pistons lost several games in which he put up monster numbers. You've had Langston Galloway, who's been amazing. Uh, and if if history is any indication, that's not going to, you know, that's not going to last because he's he's always, you know, throughout his time in the NBA, his, his seasons have gone hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, you know, throughout the course of an individual season. Uh, and you've got other guys shooting, you know, well above their, uh, well above, uh, their percentages, uh, their career percentages rather like Marquise Morris, for example. Um, you know, the Pistons have gone from one of the worst shooting teams last season to, you know, one of the best, uh, at least I think they've, they've declined in that capacity, uh, over the past few games, but, They've, they've been super efficient from the floor. I don't think that's something you keep, even without Griffin. It's like, I don't, I think they've been kind of punching above their weight in that respect and that that can't be sustained. And if that goes away, uh, <laughs> then this team is really in deep shit, you know, pardon the yeah. language. 
and the team just looks completely disjointed. I mean, his, his Casey's lineups have been, uh, have been crap. A lot of them, have, you know, at least in the early season, uh, like uh, that, that starting lineup he fielded of, of Frazier, Brown, Snell, Morris, and Drummond, which was hopeless. <laughs> uh, absolutely and utterly hopeless. And no coach in his right mind would have put those players out together because not a one of them could create offense. And two of them can't shoot. Uh, and Frazier, as it turns out, can't shoot either. So three of them couldn't shoot. And like uh, other lineups of the sort he's put out that, that just uh, that just fizzle because nobody can create offense. Uh, repeatedly putting uh, Bruce Brown and Thon Maker on the floor together, and that's two guys who can't score, and that's going to murder your offense. Stuff like that. Like the, this, uh, the game against the Hawks was winnable. He had Thon Maker on the floor as power forward for most of the second half next to Drummond. It's like you can't, that's two guys who can't score. Uh, excuse me, two guys can't shoot. Drummond can score, but two guys, you don't have spacing, especially if you've got to have Brown or Frazier on there too. Forgot about Christian Wood. After the game, he's like, oh yeah, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing and making this sound obnoxious, but it's like, oh yeah, I probably should have gotten that guy out there. <laughs> it's like, yes, Dwayne, you can't score. He's a good, you know, he's he's a tremendously better scorer than uh, than, than Thon Maker. And uh, he was rested, which nobody else was aside from Kyrie Thomas. And you just, maybe Mikhail Yuk, I don't remember. And you just kind of forgot about him. It's it's this kind of Casey thing. It's like game three of the playoffs last season where Kennard had done really well the first two games. And then in game three, he just didn't get looks. And afterward, Casey's like, oh yeah, you know, with, with regards to Griffin, who's, you know, who's getting the offense run through him. Uh, said, oh yeah, I probably should have worked harder to get Luke going. And it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, this is your best shooter and you forgot about him. <laughs> and he did the same yeah. thing against the Hornets. He does the same thing numerous times last season. Uh, so, uh, you know, I know this is a point at which we agree that Casey's just not a very good coach. I think, uh, I think it's the yeah, kiss just, of death. Yeah. Uh, he just doesn't not utilize his best shooters. Yeah. I, I, I think much like Stan Van Gundy, I mean, he does not get the best out of his players. And like on a, on a nightmarishly disjointed roster like you had last season, that, that was a big problem, and it continues to be a big problem this season, even though the offense has generally been performing fairly well. But I think just the team is completely disjointed. It's not playing together very well at all. And, and uh, you know, given that you have mostly the same players you had last season, when do you point to Dwayne Casey and say, what's going wrong, and why can't you do anything about it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's like you're able to run a decent defense last season, like the only capable defender you lost was Stanley Johnson, and uh, at times, many times throughout the season, he was a terrible defender. Uh, like in, in the last month or two before he uh, he was traded in Milwaukee, he was just awful. So it's it's like what's happening. Uh, also, I just have no faith in his ability to reintegrate Blake Griffin into the offense without actively taking away from other players. Instead of like you saw Blake say. Uh, you know, things are going fairly well. I want to come back in and, uh, you know, and act in a way that enhances, you know, enhances other players rather than just, you know, I, I want to play more of a facilitator role and, and, you know, and try to make, uh, try to get myself in there in a way that's going to help them rather than take it away from them. And I don't, I just don't have any faith that Dwayne Casey is able to run that kind of offense, but that's the least of the team's problems right now. <laughs> yeah. And tonight he looks, Blake looked bad enough that he wasn't getting those double teams that, he kind of relied on to create offense last year. They were, they were playing him one-on-one uh, -on -one a lot of the time. And if he can't create offense or if he's not 
drawing a defender away from a guy so that he can free somebody else up. And he's not creating anything on offense uh, for himself. He's just not doing anything uh, besides struggling. You know, he, he was flat footed tonight. He just he looked off and it's it's just so concerning. And uh, and Dwayne didn't really have any way to adjust. I mean, he gave the ball to Derrick Rose a little bit more after that, but he didn't. What I would have done at the very end, especially, you know, seeing that Blake is clearly not 100%, I would have put the ball back in Drummond's hands, just switch it up, do something different. But we, we time and time again, we just don't see any adjustments from Casey until the post-game presser where he's like, oh, yeah, should have made some changes there. Yeah, I he's he's just with the Raptors. He was notoriously unwilling to adjust, uh, and you know, of course, had his habit of playing favorites there as well. I mean, that that just goes back to Thon Maker. But uh, you know, Casey, yeah, he has this, the way he likes to do things. And uh, while he is more flexible than Stan Van Gundy, that is absolutely saying nothing. Stan Van Gundy was like cold iron. <laughs> you know, the yeah. guy would not bend at all. Uh, you know, you'd have his post-game pressers where it's like, oh, it's my fault, you know, I'm not doing a good job. And then he would come back with the exact same game plan down to the T. Uh, it seemed like a guy who would rather throw the – you'd rather lose games than make changes sometimes. And in case he's not that bad, but he's still pretty bad. Yeah, and making making adjustments, it, you know, mid-game, uh, you know, forget about it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, Griffin uh, in the first in the first half – uh, when he was still trying to uh, kind of isolate and drive to the net and whatnot and, and shoot threes. Yeah. Uh, he was largely one-on-one. -on -one. I saw them uh, in the second half though, when he was trying to back guys down, they were going after him and they were just stealing the ball from him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's kind of concerning because guys would just come in and poke the ball away and uh, <laughs> he would just look completely befuddled. He looked like a G league player out there tonight. He just didn't know what to do. So uh yeah, if if he can't get back to 100%, I would say this season is probably finished. Yeah, no, I, I know we keep coming back to that a lot, but it's, it's just because it's it's so important that Blake is doing something. You know, our, our, our whole offensive identity kind of, it was Blake last year. And uh, this year we have Derrick Rose. He can, he can create from the bench, but if Blake is not, what he was last year. I, yeah, this season's kind of a wash. I mean, well, we're already yeah, 4 you know, and 10. Yeah. It it just comes back to the question of, you know, the Pistons, yeah, they're 4 and 10. Uh despite again the, the quality competition being fairly low, you know, if not yeah. the uh if not the uh you know, the day-by-day -day schedule itself, which has had the Pistons playing a lot of back-to-backs and uh you know, I think already a couple of uh three games in four nights and um, which is rough, of course, but mm -hmm. schedule is just going to get harder. And what can be done to turn the season around? You know, that's yeah. uh, that. That's yeah. That's the real question. Yeah. Because absolutely, go ahead. Uh, to, uh, no, I mean it's just because time is running out. I mean, the Pistons could not afford to uh, to. They can't afford to be in this position already. You know, this uh, yeah. they're not. Um, you know, I, I know they had that stretch last season where they, they rattled off a bunch of wins. Uh, you know, I think in, uh, oh, was this early March or early February to mid March? I think 
but you had every the stars aligning at that point. Everybody, uh, you know, you had uh, Jackson shot fifty percent from three. Like Kennard shot forty five percent. Galloway shot forty forty eight percent. They're playing against really bad teams, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. And they're in their easy stretch of the schedule right now. Yeah, and uh, it's like. You know, nobody nobody wants to say the season's the season's hopeless already. I mean, uh, we're uh, you know we're about a month in. You know, nobody wants to give up. But I mean, I think that the question surrounding this team right now is is what can be done uh, to turn things around because the Pistons. I, I would argue the last two were almost kind of like must win games. I mean, sure, there's a lot of season left, but you don't want to find yourself in this kind of hole. You're not even in December yet. Yeah. And again, such easy uh, competition, like you said, like this is the time to be a few games above 500 if you really want to like secure your spot in the playoffs. And we know that's what this team is trying to do. And for them to be four and ten now, uh, it, it's really hard to imagine that they they make up these games in the the post All Star break, where our schedule is supposed to get a lot harder. Uh, it's just hard to imagine that they they rectify that. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, stranger things have happened. Uh, <laughs> of course, uh, you know, something somebody who's not talked about at this point a lot because he uh, he barely hit the floor is Reggie Jackson. Sure, hurting him lost. Oh, excuse me, losing him hurt. Pardon me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, because basically. Now you've got to run with the point guard rotation that includes either Bruce Brown or uh, or Tim Frazier. And uh, Tim Frazier has been certainly quite bad. His three-point touch has deserted him. He was always a, a horrific defender, but it's like if you can shoot threes, great. You always have a place uh, you know, in the offense, but he's, he's been a very bad shooter. Uh, so, of course, that hurts. Uh, Jackson's, you know, that's, of course, built up quite a bit of synergy with Andre Drummond, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate to lose that. Uh, and Bruce Brown, I think he got a lot of hype around the game uh, against the Nets, in which he did fairly well. But then teams just started game planning against him, and because he can't shoot, he's incredibly easy to game plan against. Mm-hmm. His non-shooting point guards are almost extinct in the NBA. Uh, and Bruce Brown, not only can he not shoot, he's not a good driver. Uh, and his court vision, sometimes good, but often suspect. Like uh, the guy is not good at seeing. Uh, He's he's basically if you uh, if he's driving and you are uh, to his left, he's a right-handed guy. Uh, then he'll find you. Otherwise, he's he's not going to see you on the other side of the floor. Uh, he can't, you know, he can't effectively shovel passes behind him. So he's not the greatest playmaker either. So yeah, I think Jackson was kind of an understated loss. Uh, do I think yeah. that this team would be in a great position with Reggie Jackson now? I don't know if he would be really the difference maker. Um, yeah. but you know, who, who knows? It's hard to tell. Like this was supposed to be his healthy off season. He is clearly not healthy at all. So that hurts. But at the same time, I mean, losing Reggie Jackson is not going to throw your team into a tailspin. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, well, let me, uh, correct myself since <laughs> like two seasons ago was more than enough to throw them in a tailspin because they just, that put Ish Smith in the starting lineup, and uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that just didn't work out. So, uh, losing Reggie Jackson is not going to make the team look like the the ball of chaos it is right now. Uh, the team is completely disjointed, and uh, I don't think losing Jackson makes that happen. 
or or yeah. causes them to turn into a horrible defensive team because Reggie Jackson is no defensive stalwart himself. Yeah, but to his credit, uh, just last season, he was he did something that I didn't really expect from him because you know that, like you said, he built that synergy with Drummond, uh, just running pick and rolls all day for Stan Van Gundy, and then when Blake came, the ball was taken out of his hands, and rightfully so, Blake was drawing double teams and he was creating really well and and jackson adjusted you know he took the off ball role he was the spot of three guy and he was playing that role very well and i think that's that's part of what you need to make griffin an effective player you need spacing you need people on the perimeter so that when griffin goes inside everybody doesn't just come in and try to stop him because i mean even bruce brown mentioned this he said when he's on the floor with Griffin, it's usually his man that goes over to double him. And Bruce, he can't really do anything about it because he's not a spacing threat. So losing Jackson, it, it's bad on its own because you're missing your point guard. But you're also taking away from Griffin's game because you're making him less effective. Yeah, that's true. And I completely agree on uh, on, on Jackson's uh, shift and role. And I was... Uh, impressed, maybe a little surprised that uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that he took no, it with no, such grace, yeah. because uh, to that point of his career, I mean, he had uh, I think rightly earned a reputation as a pretty selfish player, a guy who wanted the spotlight and wanted to be the guy. Uh, even um, you know, I think he had uh, he had grown a bit uh, even uh, at the start of 2017 2018 season. I saw some, you know, I, I definitely saw some change in his attitude, but. Um, but yeah, he's a spacing threat. He's a guy who can create off the pick and roll. Um, though Dwayne Casey forgot about that for most of last season. There's another thing about Dwayne Casey. I'll say he he doesn't like when it comes to the pick and roll. It's more just kind of like the pick and sort of roll. <laughs> like when you see uh, like when you see Derrick Rose or Luke Kennard, who are the guys who get the most pick and rolls, or, or Bruce Brown, I guess. Um, get the pick. Uh, I mean, Derek Rose will pull up from mid-range or bound to the basket. Uh, Luke will usually just shoot. But uh, the roll man doesn't roll hard at the basket. The Pistons don't really do lob plays, which is bizarre to me. Because mm-hmm. Drummond's always a lob threat. Christian Wood is certainly a lob threat. He's highly athletic. He's, he's really long. And he's got good hands. Uh, but it just doesn't happen. So uh, what tends to happen is that the roll man, uh, I mean, if it's not maker, forget about it. He can barely set a screen, and he's not a threat rolling to the <laughs> basket at all. Uh, but even when you've got Wood or Drummond out there, generally uh, the defense has a pretty easy time dealing with the roll man, excuse me, with the, with the ball handler, because the roll man is not going hard at the basket. He's not drawing his man down there. And, yeah. uh, you know, if they're watching tape, they also know the Pistons are never going to focus on, on, on getting the ball up there for a lob. So just another weird aspect of the offense. Uh, and, yeah. and I think something that plays in when you see the offense really stall, but, uh, you know, back, yeah, I mean, back to what we were saying. Oh, sorry, good. Yeah, part of that might just be that since Jackson's injury, uh, he hasn't been—he's not the the pick and roll man that he used to be. I mean, 2016, that was like the bulk of our offense. It was just a lot of pick and rolls with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, and uh, they ran it pretty well. And Jackson was able to either reliably hit that floater from like 12 feet out, or lob it up to Drummond, and we, he doesn't have that that role man anymore. Luke Kennard, he can't penetrate really. Uh, I guess Derek Rose probably could do it. Maybe they maybe they should do that more. And then Bruce Brown, he, he can't really finish. Even when he 
like gets all the way to the rim, he's not really good at finishing. So that could be part of it as well. We just don't. He just Drummond just doesn't have the 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 ball handler to effectively do that anymore. Oh, uh, Jackson's lost that. half Sorry, a step. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Well, That's Jackson's lost lost half a step, but uh, but Casey doesn't. Uh, you know, I think it was. Uh, it was well known by a lot of people, I think, that Casey just barely even ran the pick and roll for about until about February of last season. He really wasn't using Jackson in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sure, some of the time it just made sense to have Jackson spot up so that Griffin could feed him. But uh, the guy's just not the greatest at diversifying offense. Uh, he yeah. tends to, I think, get very set in his ways. But, uh, you know, in any event, so I, I would just say, you know, in uh, what do you think can be done at this point? Uh, let's assume that uh, that Blake, uh, I don't know, at this stage maybe looks like he's about a month away, I would say. You know, what what do you think uh, the Pistons can reasonably do, Dwayne Casey or, or anybody else can reasonably do to at least stem the bleeding for now? You know, if the Pistons can maybe win half their games from here on out, uh, you know, until until the end of the year. Uh, you know, what would you say can can be done to make that happen? It's hard to say because one of the issues that we kind of foresaw uh, before the season even started was just that there's not really enough uh, spacing threats. Uh, that's kind of paramount to an offense today. So already you're kind of limiting uh, yourself in that way. And the other thing is that our two best players, they're at their best when they have those floor spacers, when they can operate down low, and we don't have that. So I guess I would say try to play Griffin and Drummond uh, uh, separately as much as you can. Uh one of them should be on the floor at all times, basically. I'm not sure if they're doing that right now, but uh, put the ball back in Drummond's hands. I, I really do think that's something that teams haven't completely figured out yet. Uh, besides that, it's it's hard to say because I think I want to say four guys have been shooting the three ball remarkably well. Like I think it was Tony Snell, Luke Kennard, uh, Markeith Morris, and then Langston Galloway. Yep. Yeah. And uh, you got to hope that they keep it up. Maybe Jackson returns in however many weeks and he's able to uh, resume his spot-up threes. And then maybe you can get enough spacing on the floor that Drummond and Griffin can do what they need to do and just make the most of their talents. That's that's all I can say because this roster just – it has fit issues and they're manifesting themselves right now. And – if these those four guys weren't shooting ridiculously well for uh, for the Pistons, things would look even like considerably worse because everything else is going wrong. And even though we aren't winning games, at least they've been kind of close. Things would just be so much worse if these guys weren't knocking down their shots. Uh, that's all I can think of. It, there's there's just a lot of limitations with this roster. Yeah, there certainly are. And uh, with with Jackson out and with with Griffin still more or less out, I mean he was he's, he's been in a, he's, he's he's been a negative since he's been back, and I gotta think that's due to his health. Uh, yeah, this this team is short on threats. I mean, all I would say um, from my part is, I mean, at this stage you keep Blake out until he's ready to play. He's not ready to play right now. That's yeah. um, that's it, just I mean. If you really think it's just, uh, you know, 
like the the organization obviously has more information on on his state of health than we do yeah. and uh you know if if you're if you're uh the front office if you're doing case and you say we really think he's ready to play he's just really rusty and uh you know we just got to get him going then sure you keep putting him in games uh from our appearances to me at least it looks like he's just he's still not healthy yeah uh no. so uh, and if he's not healthy, I mean, the way he's, he's looked very bad. If he's still hobbled, I mean, granted, he did well against the Bucks last season while hobbled, but he just looks really off right now. And if that's how he is, then you got to keep him out until he's ready to go because, because uh, you know, it, he's played three games. And uh, against the Timberwolves, he was okay, but not great. This, against the Hornets, he was fairly bad tonight. He was really bad. So... Just keep him out. It's like you said, uh, go back to what works. Put the ball in Drummond's hands a lot. At least it'll get him engaged again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was working it's decently more fun well. To watch. Yeah, there's that too. Um, though, you know, I, I doubt the brain trust is really thinking much about that. On You know, whatever the case, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't seem like they've really cared much about what's fun to watch for a while. Um, well, this being Tom Gora's anyway. Uh because, but in any event, I think uh, you ruthlessly coach shot selection. Like uh, if you're doing Casey, you say Drummond, you're done bringing the ball up the floor, for example. You're done with the bad isolations. Uh, you just you cut all the bad shots out of the offense. No more Bruce Brown drives, uh, stuff like that. You just you got to really focus tremendously upon efficiency, getting your best guys the best shots. Um, you have to get rid of Thonmaker, please. Finally, get you know out of the lineup until he needs to go back in. Just put Christian Wood at center. Enough is enough. I don't care if the guy screws up a defensive assignment here and there. And uh, you know, I'll say sure he's been real bad at times uh, defensively speaking. But uh, even if you look at him and say you know real bad defensively versus Thon's simply quite bad defensively, and Wood is a good scorer and Thon is a horrible scorer and Thon is good at nothing. I mean. Like, enough is enough. Don's been awful, and the Pistons have been terrible with him on the floor. Gone. You know, no more lineups that can't score. <laughs> I mean, you just you basically got to optimize what you got, and this is why I was I was so unhappy with Casey being hired in the first place, is that he inherited, you know, the, the roster he, uh, he was given to coach was one that would need a lot of innovation, uh, you know, to really make it work. And Casey is not that, and never in his career has he demonstrated that he's the kind of guy who's going to get, who's going to be creative and innovative, and and have the imagination and the will to uh, to really be constantly adapting on the fly to get the most out of the disjointed roster. So, yeah, those are the things I'd look at and hope the team can start playing better defense. You know, as much as offense is more important than defense in, in today's league. Uh, it's also not good to be a horrific defense. I mean, the Cavs of two seasons ago got away with it because they have LeBron James. The Pistons yep. do not have LeBron James. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and even they were worried about like the fit of the roster. They were all about maximizing LeBron with three point shooting. So, they had some of it right. The Pistons just they don't. It's, they're just kind of stuck in some some just old way of thinking where defense is still the most important thing and they just can't win like that you're right well i would say casey thinks the defense is the most important thing but um <laughs> i uh it's certainly not working for him and and like you said if uh if the offense weren't firing on all cylinders uh then pr- probably better than it should be uh then 
things would be truly dire. I think if Galloway uh, and and if Galloway weren't playing super well, I mean the Pistons put it this way could easily be like uh, you know what four and eleven right now. They could easily be a two win team right now yeah. if uh, if certain players had just been a little less hot at the right time. They've really needed players to completely go off. Like uh, that second game against the Pacers, they needed Christian Wood to have a huge game. First game against uh, the against the Pacers, they needed both Rose, all Rose and and uh, and Kennard and Drummond to have huge games. I mean, they've really relied on guys really exploding. And of course, you want somebody to explode, but you want to be able to win as a team, mm-hmm. you know, on a consistent basis. So, yeah, <laughs> I think. All Pistons fans, uh, you and I, and I think your average watcher anywhere would uh, would certainly say that the season has been a bit of a nightmare so far. Yeah, and it just you just you got to hope for uh, one of two things: you got to hope that the Pistons can uh, somehow right the ship, or that if things really go down the tubes, that uh, that the front office and the guy who owns the organization uh, have the foresight to say, okay, this is, you know, that's it for this roster. You know, that's, it's, it's time to, uh, to cut our losses and move on. Yeah. And, uh, I'd say that'd be the decision that would be made, uh, a couple months in the future. Mm-hmm. But if the Pistons get any deeper in the hole, it's going to be real hard to even think about playoffs in this conference, even in yeah. this conference, which is a very, 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 very exceedingly weak conference. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that'll be it for the show today. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time.